amazing love. How can it be? Father, it was what you designed, even in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, from the beginning, even before the beginning of the world's being spoken in existence, you had chosen us in him. An amazing feat. It was accomplished when Christ said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. It was the end of the beginning. We look forward to eternity, Father, with you because of what Jesus accomplished. When we give trust in you, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Father, now these moments that we have set aside to worship and to uplift and praise your name, we are thankful that we have the word to turn to. We would ask that you would take your word, take it to the very depths of our being, and Father, that our relationship would never have been closer than it is these moments we have right now. Minister to our hearts, fathers, we humbly bow before you asking that the Holy Spirit exclusively would be our teacher as we look with anticipation for what you will do to us and for us as you conform us to the image of your Son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. John chapter 15. I am the true vine. Uh, I think it's also very important. We've been watching and following through at least in the last couple of IMs of where is the context? Where is Jesus at right now? And chapters 13 through 17 of John are really literally that last week. The last week of his physically being with the disciples and being with the people on the earth. It's his last week in physical form. As we come to chapter 15, there's, uh, we really are at the end of the end. In fact, Paul, I think you read out of chapter, John chapter 14. Uh, the last verse, uh, go with me there, John chapter 14, verse 31. He's speaking to them, and it, this is after the Last Supper, the last time that they've eaten together. Uh, literally, Judas Iscariot has left. He has, been, uh, he has left the group. He's away in chapter 13. And watch now verse 31. It says that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Now watch. Arise, let us go hence. He's literally, right now, they have left the the room, the place that they had 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 supper together, and he has had all of this, I'm going to say this, intimate conversation with the eleven. This is an intimate conversation with the disciples that have followed him, and now, literally... He said, arise, let's go. Where are they going? They're literally leaving the room, going to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the last moments. Sometimes I want to know, especially someone that's really close and something I would respect dearly, I want to know what that person is thinking at the end. My last moments together, even if it's just for a visit that they're leaving. What, what's on your mind? As these disciples would have now been walking to the place of which Jesus would be betrayed, they were going to gather for prayer. Remember what happened to the disciples? Right? They fall asleep. Jesus is in such anguish that he's literally perspiring droplets of blood. Now that's stress. That's what our, our Savior felt. But he's saying, as they're walking now, they're literally walking out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says these things. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. And again, let's stop for just a second there. I am. That was something that he said. This is the seventh one that we find in John. And when he says, I am... The people of which he's walking with are very, very keen on what that's proclaiming to be. Let's go back all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. Hold your place here in John chapter 15. Exodus chapter 3, as the, just as the, the book was about, was the exodus of the, as, of the Israelites from Egypt. Exodus chapter 3, God appears to Moses. 
Let's start in in chapter 3 and verse 13. God has told Moses that he would be with him and that he's wanting the people to leave Egypt. Now watch, Moses responds in verse 13 to God. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Watch now. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So what does I am mean? It really means literally God, the Father, Jehovah, the one that had led them out of, of, Israel, out of Egypt. Now when Jesus Christ says this, I am, what is he proclaiming to be? God himself. That's why the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes were so uptight and so over the top wanting to literally take Jesus' life. And it had gotten on high when Lazarus, which we spoke about him a couple of weeks ago, as Jesus wrote, it raised him from the dead, here's a man that walked out of a tomb. He'd been dead for four days, not four hours, not four minutes, four days. And you know what they wanted to do with Lazarus? Was put him to death. Because he was a reminder of what Jesus, this one that had claimed to be I am, the God being equal, I and the Father of one. Every time he spoke, it was almost like he was saying, I am God. They couldn't handle that. They could not handle that. And here he does it again. The seventh time we have in the book of John, I am. Now, he's giving us a picture, if you will, a picture of the relationship that he's asking for his disciples. Again, this is not to the crowds. This is not to a large group. This is to 11 men that are walking now to the place that he will just shortly be betrayed. Following that I am, as you're turning back to John chapter 5, let's start. There's a few scriptures I'd like you to write down or, or follow along with me. John chapter 5, verse 18, it tells us the response that the Jews had in regards to Jesus' statements. It says in verse 18, chapter 5, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Chapter 8, verse 58. Chapter 8 of John, verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. (laughs) That wasn't cool. They didn't like any part of that. To think of all of the, literally, the multitudes of years that have went by since Abraham walked the earth, and for him to say, Before he was, I am. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 24. I'm sorry, I missed one. Verse 24, same chapter. I said, therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Again, speaking to his sense of deity. John chapter 10. Let's go there for a moment. John chapter 10, verse 38. But if I do, though, believe not me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. Now watch, verse 39. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hands. This has been going on for quite a period of time now. They have put out a contract in his life. They've been looking for opportunity to literally put him away, to take his life, to kill Jesus Christ, the one that has claimed to be God, but has also shown to be worthy. When's the last time you had somebody just walk up and says, "Uh, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) That should do it, right? But it's amazing, miracles are... I'll leave it that way. Miracles do not necessarily instill belief. Otherwise, they would have all believed. I mean, let's be honest. If you, if you watch Lazarus come boiling out of that, out of that tomb, and he's all wrapped up, and he's, you know, he's, it's got to be something, right? He's, he's all 
but bundled up. And he comes out, and they say, huh, well, we see that every day, so that's not a big deal. No, no, that's, if there was anything that should have done it, it should have done it. And you know what? It still didn't do it to some. It didn't do it. They couldn't get it. But that's why he did it, for those, for those to believe. John chapter 15, let's, uh, let's look at this picture that he's giving to his disciples as they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman, or the vine dresser, or the gardener, however you would like to say that. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, or prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except... It abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. Now, there's, it, it spells out for us the, the actors or the, the people and places of this particular pictogram, and that is the vine is Jesus Christ. He's the, he's the source of life. If you think about it, a, a grapevine or, or a grape plant, the vine, that is the, the main energy source, the lifeline, to the individual branches. And he declares himself to be that vine, the source, literally for us as we look at it, the source of spiritual life. God the Father is the vine dresser, the gardener, if you will. He's the one that has planted the vine. He's the one that's in care of this vineyard. And it speaks of the branches, the branches. Those are those that have, are trusting Christ. They're, they're the ones that are connected to Jesus Christ. Now, as he's going to get into this, there are two kinds of branches. There are those that are barren, that are not bearing fruit, and then there are those that are bearing fruit. Let's talk then. The key word, we would have to say, would you not agree, that probably the key word in this passage is that of abide. Abide. What does that mean? What does abide mean? Living with? Okay. In? What else could we say? Abide. Staying close to. Tolerating. Tolerating. Okay. Anything else? When you say abide, abiding. Is abiding easy? <laughs> that was a kind of a, that was a universal no. The heads were shaking no. One of the things about abiding is the fact that it's to remain, to stay, to continue. That's that very word, the essence of that is is making it, and you know what, as a Christian walk, sometimes the toughest things is to keep, just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. To abide is in, is in keeping in fellowship with Christ. Now, is there something we do to abide? Or is it just, you're just hooked on and you're just long for the ride? Is there, is there aspects? Is there things we need to be keeping up in the sense of abiding? Nurture your faith. And how do we do that? We're spot on. How do we do that? Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. What else? Prayer. Practicing what Jesus taught. Obedience. What do we do that in what vein of that? Oh, boy, I, hope, I, I suppose I better go to church. Let me see. It's in the morning. I better get my Bible and I better read. Oh, goody, goody gumdrops. Let's see. And Judas hanged himself. I didn't like that. 
And go and do likewise. No, we don't like any part of that, do we? How do you approach, how do you approach Bible reading? Is that, is that a, let's just, oh, that was, I didn't get that. Joyfully. What brings joy? Abiding. It's, it's true, isn't it? You see, it's, it's, it, it's, it feeds upon itself. The energy that comes from abiding allows us to abide more because he's really wanting us to have more fruit, correct? That's the, that's the goal. We're, we're not abiding to, to please ourselves. We're not abiding to make ourselves more comfortable. We're abiding because he wants us to be fruitful. Now, you can tell whether it's, have you heard of, I got results. Have you heard of, the end, the end is we need results. And results can come from almost anything, man-made, machine, whatever. Fruit, however, has to come from a living organism. Fruit cannot come from a machine. It cannot be man-made. Now you say, uh, yes, it can. If you went to a Thanksgiving dinner, and on the, on the middle of the table, you probably saw a dish, and it was filled with plastic fruit, the yummy kind, right? And it looks good from a distance, but when you pick one up, oh, well, that's, that's a fake. That's a result. That's not fruit. Fruit comes from living organism. It has to come from life. That's why when Jesus said this, let's turn back to your text that's in front of you. Let's see. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If you're not hooked up to the vine, you can't bear fruit. You cannot do it. Uh, results, if you will, having results are just dead and they cannot reproduce themselves. That's another thing that we find in fruit. Not only does it come from life, um, you don't think about making fruit. That apple tree that's out there, I have not been walking by it in the morning and it says, I am making fruit today. What was, who, who said that? No, it just happens, doesn't it? When we're abiding, when we're connected, when we're remaining in Jesus Christ, guess what? We produce fruit. It's not of ourselves coming from the vine. That's why Jesus said, you must remain in me. You must abide in me. Abiding in Christ. Producing fruit. Now, who's the fruit for? Yeah, it's for others. That's what even makes it more special is the fact that the fruit that you're producing is literally for others to enjoy. Something else that comes with fruit. In every fruit... There's something within it that came from life, but it also has life within it. There's seeds. There's furthering of the fruit that's been buried, that you've, that you've been part of bearing, that actually produces more fruit. Now, fruit. Now, the last time, did you ever look, did you have a, what's a, what's a gardening cow, a gurneys or burpees or whatever? There's all kinds of them, right? Okay. Do you, do you notice the, the pictures they have in there? They're beautiful, aren't they? I remember just a little kid. I thought, I thought if you ordered the seeds or you ordered strawberry plants, you just, and boom, they're there. You've got strawberries to eat or blueberry, whatever it might be, right? And the pictures are gorgeous, aren't they? They're perfect. They're absolutely perfect. There's one thing about fruit, and sometimes this is something we need to remember. As we're remaining, as we're staying coarse, as we're abiding and being nourished from the vine, we have to keep in mind there's two things. That, that, one in particular, that takes, it takes time. When you're trans, you've got those strawberry plants, and it's amazing, isn't it? You've looked at those pictures in the catalog, and then you here comes the box, and you're excited, and you open it up, and it's not at all what it looks like, right? You've got a, you've, it looks almost, and sometimes they are dead, aren't they? 
But you'll reach in and you'll take out this plant, and it looks, they say it's a strawberry. You're trying to figure out it does not resemble a strawberry in any way, shape, or form, or, a ras- or whatever it is. And you plant it, <laughs> and nothing happens right away. The deer eat it. That's, that's absolutely true, actually. You must fence the place that you're putting the things in now <laughs> to keep them from the predators, right? And if they're not eaten, over time and cultivation and nourishment, again, if, if you don't want to, you know, in our country anyway, we don't get enough rain to produce anything, correct? It's just enough to make us feel good, right? And so you've got to water it. You've got to irrigate it. You've got to make sure that you have soil amendments and nutrients of which that strawberry plant can pull life from, from the root, to nourish it. And you know what it does when it's all good and better and working out perfectly? It bears fruit. It bears fruit. And then they're for us, aren't they? But it doesn't happen overnight. It's one of the things that sometimes we're in such a hurry. If you're a Christian here today, you've trusted Christ. Now, that is one thing what we're saying. If you're abiding in Christ, that means that you've trusted. You've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You have said, I'm trusting you. I'm going to remain faithful. I'm going to give you everything that I am. And when you do that, the lifeline is hooked up. Now, of course, we're looking for answers immediately. I've got a guy that I've been, he trusted Christ back in November and going through a hard time. And so I'm sharing Bible verses with him, picking him up. And he, <laughs> and he's calling me, right? And we're talking about it. And it's like, I need answers now. <laughs> we want answers now, don't we? And when we're inviting him and we, and we, and we think we're hooked up and, Sometimes the best thing that happen for us is not to get an answer right away. Literally, literally, it's not always the best in our best interest to get an answer right away. Because you know what? I'm going to tell you something. That word prune. How many of you like pruning? Have you ever looked at someone that knows what they're doing with, the, with pruning? Now, don't watch me. I, I wouldn't have a clue. I just know after someone even knows what they're doing, and I look at you and say, That's disturbing. You just took everything that looked like it should be there and you removed it. Yeah, you cut it off. And you know what? God's really good at pruning. He's awesome at being able to develop and know exactly where you, as being abiding in Christ, that's you're hooked up to the lifeline, you're hooked up to Jesus Christ. He knows where to snip off stuff that you don't need. Now, you may think you need it. Have you ever looked at a tree that has never been pruned? We've got a couple in the backyard. And there's a whole lot of leaves, and there's a whole lot of branches, and there's a whole lot of wasted energy that doesn't go into making fruit. Now, in our own lives, guess what? If God wasn't interested enough in our, in our lives to prune us, you know, we'd look the same. We'd have a whole lot of extra stuff that would be just be burning energy, just making nothing, right? But God knows that the best for him and for us is to bear fruit. And the more energy we can take to put on fruit, as opposed to just being there, right? Kind of have that fluff and stuff and nothing happens. And he's got to do the pruning. And you know what I've learned about pruning? It hurts. It hurts. And the Bible's got a lot of things to say about pruning. Uh, in James, I was just that one kind of popped in my mind right now. Let's go there for a moment. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <clears throat> now, James, uh, understanding who that guy is, it says that he's a servant of God, verse 1, chapter 1 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he doesn't tell you is he's literally, he grew up in the same house as Jesus Christ. He was one of the brothers. He was one of the half-brothers, and he watched the older brother being Jesus, and he watched him grow up. You know, he didn't believe in him either. It says that all of his brethren of the, the household, they just thought Jesus was, oh, for goodness sakes. He just, they, they thought it was mom's favorite. He was just his pet, her pet. He couldn't do anything wrong. Literally didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> How would you like to grow up in a house like that? Oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, he never did anything wrong. You know, Jesus is soft. Well, we know he didn't do it. So which one of you did that? <laughs> wasn't him. What do you mean? How do you know it wasn't him? Because he's Jesus. Right? Well, James is one of those that grew up in that house. And it says that he didn't believe in Jesus. None of them did. Until, until, let's tell, hold your place here. I'm thinking, I hope I'm right. Uh, we'll be right back to James. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I think I'm right. We'll find out. Yeah, there, there it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to just start in verse 1. And it really condenses the gospel, but it also tells us the significance of everything that Paul has talked about now in 1 Corinthians. He says, verse 1, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. This is how you're saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Now watch, this is it. This is the nutshell. This is the gospel. This is the good news, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Just as the Scriptures declared, Christ died for our sins. Verse 4, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now see, if he hadn't rose again, we could say fraud, we could push the button that says he's, he's, a, he's a fake. If Jesus Christ would have been buried he would have, and he's still lying in state, it's a lie. It's not him because the scripture said he would raise from the dead. And guess what? He did. Watch what he says. Verse 5. I'm sorry. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures, verse 5, and that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. The disciples saw him. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. The significance in that is, I'm, I'm, Paul is saying those 500 of which saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead, they're still living. So they could say, totally wrong. Paul, you are so wrong. You are so messed up. No, but they were truly living yet. The significance of that is huge. And then it goes on to say, keep going. I can't remember what I'm here now, right? I, I remember. But verse 7, after that, he was seen of... James. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, Brother James, after watching Jesus, and his mother would have been there to see him crucified, as they took his body down, and they put it in a tomb. Remember who did that? Nicodemus, and what was the other guy's name? How come I can't remember it either? We'll get in a second. Anyway, those two men, remember about Nicodemus? It's good I remembered him. Remember, we found him in John chapter 3. He was a Pharisee. Now, if you were a Pharisee and you believed in Jesus, you probably would cease to be a Pharisee. You wouldn't have kicked out of the synagogue. But look at this now. I want to show you the transformation, the metamorphosis of this man, Nicodemus. He came to Jesus at night. It says that in the scripture. My, my belief is, is the fact that he did not want to be seen by his peers. 
He wanted to visit. He wanted to investigate. He wanted to literally quiz and question this one that he saw as a master, as a teacher, about what it was that Jesus was all about. And he left that. I'm still, I don't think he accepted Christ in John chapter 3. I think there was question marks. What do, you, what, 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 do you, what do you mean born again? What does that look like? How can I enter my mother's womb again? See, he was off on a different page. But you know what? When he got to the fact of where Jesus Christ was hanging on a cross and was dead, and he and this other gentleman, which I still cannot think of his name, went and said, asked for his body and said, we want to bury him in front of everyone. He took a stand. He took a stand. And then to see him raised from the dead three days later, and now this is Brother James slipping to his sandals for a moment. as J- Well, uh, Jesus, um, it's so good to see you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Well, James, it's good to see you. I died for you, James. I died for everyone. Do you think that made an impact? It absolutely made it completely changed James's life. He was a leader in the Jerusalem church, and now he wrote a book. It's called James. Let's go there again, chapter 1. Let's watch it unfold. Well, at least he didn't write a book called Bill, right? It's good. James, chapter 1. Now, watch what he says right out of the box. I'll get there in a second. My Bible is being uncooperative. There we go. James, chapter 1. He starts off, verse 1, chapter 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or various temptations or trials. How many of you have been counting that joy as you've had a tough opportunity to... I see there's not a lot of head nod. Yeah, praise God, I, f- I had a really tough day yesterday. I'm excited to know that I had a tough day yesterday. It's really quiet in here right now, right? What are you, have you lost your mind, Larry? Well, to be very honest with you, neither have I. When things are tough, I usually don't say, why, I hope I have more of that. I want more of that. And yet, are you ready? It's good for us. Because it grows us. It's just like if you're exercising your muscles, you're exercising them what? To be in pain the next day? To know that you had muscles that you didn't know you owned the next day? No. It's to exercise those muscles to make you what? Say it. Stronger. Stronger. Now watch. He continues on. He doesn't just stop at that verse. He says this. Verse 3. Knowing this. This isn't something that we have to wonder about. Knowing this. That the trying or the testing of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect. That is to be mature and entire. Wanting nothing or lacking nothing. Oh, that's what James said. Jesus' half-brother. That's so true. That's so true. Tell me about the trials and how you approach them. And you say, well, why don't you start first, Larry? You probably do it similarly to me. I don't really count them as a lot of fun. I don't jump up and now say, yes, I hope I get another one of those. And yet, I turn back in my life, turning around, and I watch... That's lot, I'll tell you what, history and looking back on how God has brought us through situations is amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. I remember a situation in Miles City. We were there for a couple of years, and it was the driest year I can ever remember, in 1988. I think it was the year of the, it was the fires in the park, for you that were here. In 1988, we were in Miles City, and it was 
I don't even think dry is the right word. Okay? From the 1st of September to 1987 to the 1st of September of 1988, a one-year period, we received total two inches of precipitation. And I'm sure some dirt would have been on the bottom of that. <laughs> right? The month of June, uh, Lisa and I lived in a trailer house on top of a hill. No, no swamp cooler, no air conditioning. And there was three days, it was, and this is a thermometer, it's not official, but it's when we, we had a couple of them on the ranch. There was three days, it was 119. There was three days, it was below 100. And the rest of the month of June was between 100 and 119. <laughs> oh, goody, right? <laughs> I don't remember saying that. What's that? Great sleeping. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. And I, I think we, we, had, we had two, we had Laramie and Larissa, right, at that time? Two little kids. They loved it, too. Every part of that they loved, right? Little toddlers. But I also remember when you didn't think it could get worse, it did. <laughs> it did. We had, uh, we had leased, I don't, I, I don't want to make this all about me, but it's amazing, though, still looking back and holding firm to principles, how good it is for us. It makes us stronger. It makes it tests our because if your faith is never tested, how do you know how strong it is? The answer is you don't. You don't. And God knows just where to this is called pruning. You know, if you're in the pruning process, He knows just where to snip off some of that dead wood, the stuff that is of no value. It's actually it, there's things that, that a, a really smart horticulturist knows exactly where to snip off, and it is dead. And you know what? That's usually subject to disease or uh, insect infestation. So you've got to get rid of that. There's also that stuff that you think you need. <laughs> There's a lot of that stuff in my life. I think I need that. God, we haven't talked about this. I think I need that. And he says, no, you don't, because you'll bear more fruit if you don't have that. Oh. <laughs> right? right? Come on, you guys, loosen up. This is the way it is, right? So anyway, as a result of that, in this year, 1988, the driest year on record, we at least another part of the ranch which used to be together. There was 87 sections, 56,000 acres, and that was putting it all back together. And the woman that had leased it, or we, we made a deal. And there was another guy that we came together with, and he said, let's do this. Okay, Christian brother, let's do this. So my father calls and sets the deal and said, you know, we will agree to pay this price for this year. About a week later, the other gentleman calls and says, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that. Pardon me? <laughs> so I said, I said, well, just call him back. I tell my dad. I said, just call him back and tell him. I'll tell you what. You just drop the cattle off. I'll take care of them completely. Not a problem. Not, it just won't, we'll just take, because you know what? I'm, pan, I'm in panic mode right now. We can't do this without these people. We can't do it. And he did. And you know what they said? No, we're just out. I remember sitting at that counter in my dad's house. And he said, what are we going to do? I said, I know what we need to do, and I know what we should do, so therefore we have to do this. You just call her back. Her name was Mrs. Boatwright. And you tell her we've had a person drop out, but we are going to continue to do what we said our word was to do. And I said, I don't know how we're going to do that. But God does. And to this day, I can tell you, before you as my witnesses, I have no idea how we made that lease. But we did. Because we had 1,000 cows on that ranch for one month, and they all had to leave because there was no grass. We were down to 35 pair on 56 
thousand acres of country. And God somehow found that lease money. I don't know how. I still, to me, I don't know. Now, that was a growing moment for me. Did I feel very confident right then? No, I didn't. Lisa's back there. She knows exactly what it was like. And you're like, what is going on? (laughs) But we had given our word, and we had prayed about it. I forgot to tell you that. We had prayed about it, and we felt that's where God wanted us to do. What do he want us to do? At that point, you have to move ahead with what God told you to do. Now, today, I can look back at that, and when an obstacle comes in my which they come regularly, just like they do for you, they come regularly, I can say, you know what? God took me through that one because I trusted him. We had reached out, we had prayed. Now, again, sometimes we've done stupid stuff without praying about it. Have you ever done that? Don't raise your hand. Of course you have, because that's what we do. That's where humans. But when we do that, that's a different deal. There are consequences for doing stupid stuff. Have you noticed? (laughs) We reap what we sow. It says in Galatians. Right? But I'm here to say this. When we are having our faith tried, when trials come our way, and we respond by trusting in God, somehow it works out. Because we're doing what he wants us to do. That's key. And I look back in my life and I look at some of the struggles that Lisa and I went through. And you know what? It's made us stronger. I think of Abraham, right? just popped in my mind right now. Uh, It would be chapter 22, I believe, of Genesis. And here you have this man who has been told by God to take his oldest son, Isaac, and to take him up to Mount Moriah, which is a three-day journey. And he says, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. That means, what does that mean? That means exactly what it means. You're going to slay my son. I'm going to slay my son and give him to God. I would have like a neighborhood meeting. Like, guys, do you think that's right? Do you think that's fair? Do you think God should really require that of me? Do you th- I mean, does that sound right? No. You know what he did? It says early the next morning he took off and went to Mount Moriah. Three-day journey. That would be a long three days, wouldn't it? Could be. But you know what? If that would have been something that was on his plate when he made his first trip to Egypt because a famine hit the land, and I don't remember asking God about anything. He just said, I think there's food in Egypt. I'm going to just take off. And he said, oh, by the way, Sarah, Sarah, my loving, charming wife, would you please say that you are my sister because it's going to go better for me since you're beautiful. Now, there's a man. Right? And God talks. God comes to Pharaoh and says, what you're doing or what you're about to do is Abraham's wife. And so he was told to go home, right? I'm going to tell you right now, if he would have been asked to sacrifice his son on that day, he would have run like a chicken with his head cut off. But through the course of time, he'd waited. You know how long it took for for Abraham and Sarah to get Isaac? 25 years. And he promised him right out of the box. He said, I'm going to give you a son. And from that son, your descendants will be like the sand of the sea or like the stars of the sky. 25 years later, he didn't have the first one. But he'd been growing him. Well, yeah, and that wasn't really, that wasn't the way God planned it. Have you ever done something, you, you, God has, you know God wants you to do this, but you didn't get it the right way. You went ahead, you jumped ahead of, have you ever run ahead of God? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, we have, haven't we? Can't get there fast enough. Moses did it. Cost him 40 years of sheep herding, right? Learned a lot. 
learned a, he learned a lot. I'm telling you, Lois, he learned a lot. You can if you can if you can chase sheep around for 40 years, you are ready for anything. That's stretching your faith, right? You know it. You know it. <laughs> yeah, the reward. The reward. Yeah, yeah. You get to have three million Israelites that are worse than sheep, right? But that's how he prepared. That's how he prepared. But think of it, though. Abraham, he did the right thing because he had been having his faith tested. You have the opportunities when, when you fall into various trials. God is preparing you for the next step. Didn't say it was easy. In fact, usually when we've got our back right against the wall, guess where we're looking then? If we've trusted Christ and we're abiding in him, we're looking totally to Jesus Christ. I can't think of a better place to be. Cannot think of a better place because there isn't any better place to be. I think Abraham, he just said, now think of this. I mean, it got tough going up the hill. We're going to walk up Mount Moriah. You got your son with you. His name is Isaac. This is the one God promised. Isaac's got a few things to think about and say. Dad! Kind of take an inventory here. We got the wood, which I happen to be packing. I think he was the one that was packing it, right? He's this tough one, right? Because they left the servants at the base of the mountain. Remember that? It was just he, Isaac, and Abraham that went up the hill. Dad, we got the wood, and we got the fire. Where is the sacrifice? What's Abraham going to do with that one? Oh, he handled it so well. It was so amazing because he'd been in touch with God. And he said this. He said, son, God will provide. Oh, that's so good, isn't it? And especially from, oh, that's good enough for me. Now, it must, when I'm in real testy, when now we're at where we're going to be, we've built the altar. We've got the wood on it. Now we've got Isaac tied on the wood. I think it's become apparent, right? How are you with Isaac? Who's he trusting right now? Isaac, dad, what are we doing? <laughs> What part of, what, what did I miss? But I want you to see how Abraham saw, and it just, when Abraham was ready to give everything he had, that's when God said, stop, stop. Now you know how much you trust me. But I want you to see this. Let's go to Hebrews. I think I can find it. Hebrews chapter 11, because we're going to go there anyway. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we want to go. But Hebrews chapter 11, there's something here. That Abraham, now see, the thing, Abraham was working on promises. God had promised him, and God cannot lie. Watch this. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, verse 17. Verse 17. Now, this is a chapter of, if, if, you're, if you're struggling with faith, and you want to see faith in action, even from the Old Testament saints, the ones that never seen or heard of Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 11 is your chapter. Dig into Hebrews chapter 11. Now, in verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, oh, there's that word, he was tested. This was a testing. This was a trial. He offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. This was the beginning. This is where God was working all of this through. Verse 19, accounting or believing that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. What's he saying? Literally, by the time, how old was Abraham when Isaac was born? He was 100 years old. Uh-huh. Yeah, Sarah was 90. What part of that seems really, really hard to believe? The whole thing. 
So now think about this. Abraham's saying, oh, wait a minute. If I've got God who promised me when I was 75 that I have a son, and I'm 100, and my first son is born. Can you imagine how? I remember when our fifth son, Logan, was, our fifth child was born, Logan. I thought we were going to die. The kid never slept. Just fast forward to 100. <laughs> I'm tired thinking about it. you know what he said? Because God said what he said he was going to do. See, I think that's a turning around moment and saying, because I watched God do that, I watched my wife give birth to a son that God had set up, and she's 90. Then I know I can trust a God that said that he would bless me and that my descendants would be as the sand of the sea, and he's asked me to do what he wants me to do. I'm going to do it. Now, keep this in mind. Love and obedience go hand in hand. You cannot have love without obedience. You can't do it. And that's exactly what we find when we are abiding. When we are abiding in Him, love and obedience come together. Now, I told you that we were going to go to Hebrews chapter 12. The pruning process, thinking of that. If you go through chapter 11, you just get the feeling that... And by the way, it didn't always work out good. Look, look at this. Uh, in cha- chapter he- Hebrews chapter 11, let's watch a little bit of this. Um, let's see. The, toward the end of this, so verse 36. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yes, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of who the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, I'm sorry, and these all, having obtained a good report, through faith received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. In other words, they trusted God regardless of circumstance. And you know what? The promise held true for them just as well. That is fantastic. Now, that's our hall of faith. Now, watch verse 12. Watch chapter 12. Watch verse 1. Watch pruning from a different angle. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed, are surrounded about with so great a crowd of witnesses. That's chapter 11. Looking at all of these that have lived before us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. How much stuff is weighting us down that we don't need to really run the race? That's what he's asking in Hebrews chapter. Lay aside all of those weights, that stuff you don't need to get done what God wants you to have done. You know, he's looking, and, and in, my, in my deal, there's always something, somewhere, that I really don't need. And he takes it away. He prunes it. And I say, oh, good, let's do some more of that. Not usually. But you know when I turn back and I say, that was good. That was good. What's coming next? What, do you, what are you preparing me for? And you know what he is? I remember when I left Paradise Valley. I didn't want to leave Paradise Valley. I love Paradise Valley. It was hard. But it was time to move. There were circumstances that demanded it happen. Oh, and by the way, that's how we ended up in Miles City. 
1980. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? But I look at life's journey and I just see how we ended up here. And I've watched all of the things that God... And by the way, I started in North Dakota. I am blessed, right? But God's got a purpose for you. He's got a purpose for everyone. And he wants everyone to come to Christ. Everyone. He wants you to abide in him because when you're abiding in him and you're hooked up to the lifeline, you become fruitful. You're bearing fruit. And you bear more fruit and much fruit when you allow him to have his way with you. Let's look at another scripture here. You're in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul learned this. Now, when I say the word Paul, you think he's a super saint. He was an apostle from, oh man, I mean, he had it together. He was the guy. But he had been given a vision, it tells us in the first part of chapter 12. That he was actually, well, let's just read it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I can tell. God knoweth. I'm sorry, I cannot tell. God knoweth. He's speaking of himself. Such is a one caught up into the third heaven. I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body. I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. What he'd been able to see, literally, he doesn't know whether he was in the body or out of the body, but he was in an event where he literally was in heaven. He could catch all of the things that were going on in there. Now, I can only imagine what heaven's like because I read what the word is disclosed for us. But he literally was there. Oh, man, right? That's crazy. Can you imagine how popular he could have been? Paul doing a seminar, I was in heaven, right? <laughs> yeah, that weren't there, right? Exactly. And how would you know? Because you weren't there either. Look at Lazarus. Remember him? We talked about him a couple weeks ago. Man, when Jesus had come forth, he's, no, not now. This is so good. Guy that had to die twice. But let's go on. This would have been an opportunity for him to be exalted, it says. For though I would, des let's see, where did I see it? Verse 7. And lest, watch, I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Oh, boy. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. This Essentially, it was something to keep him humble. For this thing, verse 8, I besought the Lord thrice or three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect or complete in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I, Paul, rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That's Paul the Apostle speaking. Isn't that something? He was, he was able to see that in, 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 in the most troublesome times was the opportunity for God to really pick him up and give him the strength he needed to get through the day. Sometimes we go too far ahead. Have you ever done that? 
you got plans and programs, and you're out 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. you got it all figured out. Your life's all figured out, especially when you're kind of like in high school, early part of college. You're going to get this career. You're going to move there. You're going to have this job. You're going to get married. You're going to do this. It's going to be awesome, and it kind of can't, cannot get any better because I'm planning it out. And us older folks are smiling inside because it doesn't work that way, right? Why not? Because it wasn't, life gets in the way, or God's plan was different. And sometimes you have to just take today. And today sometimes needs to be split out into an hour or five minutes. I've been leaned against an emergency room, just literally right there, just leaning against that wall. And I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. And that voice inside my head said, you think you could do five minutes with me? And I said, yeah, I can with you. Sometimes you've got to get it broke down into very small increments because it's too much. Today is enough, isn't it? And if it even says that, today, there's enough trouble for today. But God is faithful. He's faithful. He gets us through it. He gets us through it. Let's go back to uh, John chapter 15, and let's find out what it is that literally prunes us or cleans us. This is another word you could use is to clean Verse 3, we'll start, let's read our text again, verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth or prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Literally, that word, the word of God, is what prunes the Christian. How does he do it? He does it with truth. Now, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 4. I forgot about that one. Hebrews chapter 4. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick, that is, it's alive and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Oftentimes, the trial, if you think about it, The the trial is the wake-up deal. It's like it peels back this fluff and the stuff, the trial itself. And then it's the Word of God that literally goes in, and that's what prunes it. Just as it said, the the Word of God is like a a, a sword. It's a dividing. It's it's a double-edged sword. And it's what takes away the things that are unnecessary. But it's the trial that sets us up. Think Think with me for a moment. What if you never had any problems whatsoever? Zero. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Especially since we've all had a few. But for a moment, just think in your mind, close your eyes, and it's problem-free, trouble-free. I know it's not reality, is it? But just, just for a second, what would that look like ultimately in your life if everything you did worked out perfectly? That's heaven. But you know what makes heaven heaven? You're not in charge. God is. God made heaven. You've been allowed to get there because he sent the perfect way for you to have your sins forgiven. That's the only way you get there. But on earth, if you had everything go right, guess what you wouldn't need? This is key. You know what you wouldn't need if everything went great? You wouldn't need God. And anyone that doesn't need God has missed it. 
we got a problem. It's called sin. And the quicker we analyze that, the quicker we realize it, the better off we are. I feel sorry for some of these people that monetarily have never, ever, ever struggled. It's just an open checkbook, trust fund or whatever you want to call it. There's not ever a limitation to anything. They just go and get it done. That's hard because you don't realize what's really important. That's a hard place to be. Now, thankfully, God has never let me be that person. <laughs> and actually, that's a blessing. Because what if you know, I look at some of the, the for the mega rich people in the, in the world? There's a lot of people that want to be like them. You know what? Most of them, you get in behind the, inside their life, you know what? They're the most miserable, unhappy, joyless person there is because it controls them completely. They can't get away from it. They're thinking about how to keep it. Once in a while, we worry about trying to get it so we can pay the bills. There's so much month left at the end of the money. Have you noticed that? <laughs> right. It's true. It really is. But God somehow gets us through it. He somehow gets us through it when we're trusting in Him. I am the true vine. You are the branches. Let's go to Hebrews 4.14. Are you still in Hebrews? We've been spending a lot of time in Hebrews today. Hebrews chapter 4.14. Start there. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus Christ, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For he, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of that, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in, to help in time of need. You're, you are praying out to... Jesus Christ, the one that has seen it all. On that night, again, bringing back to John chapter 15, they're literally walking together as a, as a unit, as a family, if you will. And Jesus is sharing this. I am the true vine. You need to abide in me and I am you. And they're probably after chapter 15, chapter 16, they arrive at the garden. And now it's a time of literally Jesus is alone. He's praying to God the Father. If this cup could pass from me, may it be, but your will be done and not mine. And then just a very short time thereafter, Judas reappears on the scene. And with a kiss, betrays Jesus Christ. And within probably less than 12 hours, he has endured six trials that are illegitimate, unfair, totally biased. And by 9 o'clock the next morning, he's hanging on a cross. Why? For you and for me. He chose, it said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, he endured the cross with joy because it's the only way that we could be saved. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> if I was God, I'd have started over. I said, you know what? These are losers. Let's just try her again. Let's, let's go with another set. Right? Not God. He loves us too much. He wouldn't give up on us. He sent Jesus Christ, his very son, his very son, 
to pay for my sin. That's amazing. I am the true vine. He's asking you today to literally remain in him. He wants you to abide in him because there is where his life is. There is where fruit bearing comes from. And he's not only, that's not good enough. He wants you to bear much fruit, more fruit. So the pruning process, which literally is for your good and his glory, because he's conforming you to the image of his son. That's why Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. What happens when we love God? We just said it a little bit ago. What happens when we love someone? We obey. Obedience and love must go together. You show me a couple that is in love with one another, and I will show you someone that their love is expressed by doing things that bring happiness and joy to that other person. Love and obedience have to go together. I'd like to turn to two more, ver- actually three more, if you're okay. Take your Bibles and let's turn to uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 9. Or jot it down in your notes and look at it in your Bible when you get home. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you, walk, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what Paul is praying for those at the church of Colossae. They would increase in fruitfulness. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we continue to focus upon God and all that He has for us, we literally change what we trust in. Uh, One of the verses that I particularly, I guess, cling to, things are difficult, and I'm just trying to figure out, what should I do? What should I do? Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Let's go there. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 13. Philippians 3, 13. This is Paul speaking, and he's having a great time. He's in prison. He's writing a letter to to the Philippians, and he's in prison. Because he's done nothing wrong except trust Christ. Right? And, and telling people about In fact, you know one of the most dangerous places to be was being chained to Paul. When he was in Rome and they had taken him there, and, you know, he was supposed to get before, uh, before the emperor, before Nero. And in, he was in house arrest. That meant that 24 hours a day, someone, some poor unfortunate guard was chained to this wild man called Paul who talks about Jesus all the time. In fact, it says that the household of Caesar gave their greetings. Think of that. Here's Paul, the one that got incarcerated, and he's literally sharing Jesus Christ, and the household of Caesar has become saved because of this man. Now that's living your faith. There ain't no way to put this guy down. More trials? Not a problem. I'm on God's got me. He's got me. So he's now in jail and, and, and writing to this little church at, Philipp, at Philippi. And he says this, Brethren, verse 13, chapter 3, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, 
But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what he's doing? He's just putting one foot in front of the other and he's pressing on. I like that word press. To press on, to continue forward. Never give up. Continue to press on towards Jesus Christ. There isn't anything much better than that. And you know who strengthens you? When you're abiding in Him, strength comes from Jesus Christ. The more we abide, the more fruit we bear. The more fruit we bear, the more abiding we do. It all fits together. It flows out of the strength that we have in Jesus Christ. So where are you at today? Are you fruitful? Do you want to bear more fruit? Let me show you what some of the... I told you that was the last one, didn't I? I wasn't being truthful, was I? Let's look at one more, if you don't mind. Let's watch what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Galatians. Find the little book of Galatians. The book that Paul wrote, one of the first ones. It was the first one in the New Testament. And he was talking about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Grace alone and by faith alone in Christ alone. Galatians chapter 5. And let's look at verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's what we've been talking about, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. What's meekness again? That sounds like most of the time we see meekness and we see weakness, but it's not. Meekness is what? Power under control. Think of Jesus Christ was, had to be the most meek man that's ever walked this earth. In other words, he had the power to change anything that was before him, and he chose to do it God's way. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever had the power to do something to someone else, and then you've chosen not to do it because it wouldn't be in the best interest of that person? That would be meekness. That would be meekness. That's rare today. I've noticed that a political scene, particularly in Washington, D.C., if there's any power that they have, they will use it in any way, right, wrong, or indifferent, to destroy the opposing side. That is the opposite of meekness, which literally is weakness. Now, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about through the Spirit, meekness, sorry for the, for the uh, parenthesis, temperance, self-discipline, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You want the fruit of the Spirit? You want more fruit than walk in the Spirit. The other thing, that when you are abiding in Christ, he's been talking about this in John, actually all the way through from John 13 to 16. He's talking about when he leaves, something's going to happen, something fantastic, something that could not happen if I stay with you. And the disciples said, we want you to stay with us. We're good with you. We've we've learned from you. You've been three years with us. He says, no, it's not expedient. This is the word of the King James. It's not the best for you that I stay. And what do you mean? What could be better? He says, no. I need to go so that the Spirit, the Comforter, can come and live and dwell within you. If you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and you're abiding in Him, guess what? The Holy Spirit lives within you. The very essence, the very God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they live within you. I didn't make that up because that would be too weird. If I just said, I'm gonna, I come up with a new plan, God's going to live in you. You would say, you are nuts. But God said it. God said it. Jesus said it multiple times as he's walking the earth. The Spirit will come and he will minister to you and within you. He will dwell within you. That's the strength that you have today. If you've trusted Christ, you have an unbelievable source of strength. More than you could possibly even know. In fact, he's praying for you when you don't even know how to pray. You want to see that? You want to go there? 
See, there's another verse, but are you okay with another verse? Let's go to chapter three. Uh, let's go to chapter eight of, of Romans, one of the greatest chapters that God ever gave us. Romans chapter eight, and let's start. Here's a, we got to we got to do verse eighteen. We're going to have to do that one too because it's so good. Romans chapter eight verse eighteen says, "For I reckon or I consider that the sufferings of this present time, these trials we're having, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us." Sometimes I got to think about heaven. I got to think about heaven. I just kind of got to go there. I said, God, I don't know when I'm coming. But I'm coming because you said I could because Jesus Christ paid for my sin. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to hug Jesus. I can't. I, I don't know if he's a hugger or not, but I'm going to hug him. Because <laughs> I want to hug that one that loved me enough to put his life on the line to die for my sins. I want to show my love to him. And we're going to be in heaven. And you know what? All this stuff we're going through right now, do you know what it means? Because we're talking about eternity. Think about how, what, what infinity is like. I can't tell you how to do that, but to think about as far out as you can think, take it times two, then times a million, and tie the biggest number that you can think of, and beyond that, take it times that, a hundred million times times that, and you know what? You've just begun. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? And God paid for that, for you and for me. It wasn't free. It cost him everything, but for us, it's free for faith. Place your trust in him, because he's yours. Isn't that great? But that's not what I'm going to show you. Romans chapter 8, it says this. Verse, where do we want to go? Verse 24, for we are saved by hope. 8.24, Romans. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Watch. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Spirit, capital S. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Have you ever been there where you don't even know what to pray for? And I see every one of you have been in a spot that is the case. You don't even know what to pray for. You don't know what to say. Watch. This is cool. But the Spirit, capital S, itself. In other words, the Spirit, not, not somebody else. The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. With groanings, that's so much intensity, which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That literally is telling the Holy Spirit lives within you, is literally praying for you when you don't know what to say or do. And there have been many times in my life that that has been the case. Lord God, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to ask it. I, and you know at that time? The Holy Spirit lives within you, is interceding for you. <laughs> oh, there's so many blessings and benefits that we have of being in Christ. And it goes on to say, once again, verse 28, Romans chapter 8, verse 20, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I've got to think about it. There's one more verse I want to end with. Ephesians, Ephesians, here we go. And I promise this time you say, sure, right, right. Ephesians chapter 3, this is one you need to get a hold of. Ephesians chapter 3. This is a prayer that Paul is literally praying for these in, in the church of Ephesus. Verse 14, we're going to start there. It's good stuff. Ephesians three fourteen. This is one you need to have underlined, you need to circle it, you need to put it in your notes, whatever it is. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees, Paul is praying, not unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, 
according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge and that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That is powerful. That is incredibly stout. And that's something that you can claim if you are in Christ Jesus. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity for us to study the word, to have the word work on us and work in us. Thank you for using it to prune us. Thank you for the word to get to the innermost parts of who we are. Sometimes to encourage, sometimes to prune, but always to help. Father, thank you for lifting our spirits Thank you for knowing that when we're abiding in you, remaining in you, that we will bear fruit. It's exciting to know, Father, that you're for us. Jesus Christ died for us. As they were walking on that pathway late at night, a dark, dark night, Jesus was sharing these words of encouragement. I am the true vine. Abide in me and I in you. And he who abides in me will bear much fruit. Those words came to mean a lot more even later as we find that John, the apostle, who would have been with Jesus on that night, of which they would have saw shortly his death. As he wrote 1 John chapter 4, he said, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he continued to express the sense of fruit. The impact that that night must have made on John was incredible. He spoke of it many years later in his writings. Father, thank you for what you're doing for us. As you're, the word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. May you have your way with us as we walk our journey in life, knowing that we would be no safer place than to be with you. Protect us and guide us and give us what we need. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.